everybody, and welcome back to uh, the third episode of Presidential Madness. Working through the brackets of all uh, the uh, the previous administrations that have uh, been in charge of this place for a while. Um, and we are on our third region, the Log Cabin region. Pretty much... Uh, I think you're probably able to guess who the one seed is of, of this region. Any other presidents besides Abraham Lincoln uh, live in a log house um, historically, or we're known for that? Uh, good morning, Dan. How you doing? Oh yeah, hey, hey, Aaron Rothenberger, my co-host. Probably should throw it to you once before. Uh, I wasn't we uh, wasn't uh, Andrew Jackson yes. who uh, was built thinking. his own log cabin when he was born, or something like that. And there's some kind of idiotic story right. or something like that. At five years old, he yeah. built his, his own, own log. Cabin. William Henry Harrison probably qualifies the log cabin uh, category, uh, but who's the most prestigious out of those bunch, right? <laughs> and it's no easy feat that log cabin building. I uh, there was a documentary I watched once, but a guy named Dick Prenicky who in like the 1970s, I think, he went to Alaska by himself and he just built a log cabin and built a life for himself out of scratch using hand tools. It's a good, uh, it's called Alone in the Wilderness. Is really, he the same guy in The Call of the Wild? Um, No, it's not. I mean, not the same guy. No, definitely not. <laughs> but it, it, it's kind of like, it was a. it's a crazy true story of this guy that just goes up to Alaska and constructs it all from just, you know, the trees that are in the wilderness. So, not really connected to anything that we're going to talk about today. That's but okay. Fun little story. A lot of this, what we're going to talk about, is misconnected. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's what we do as history teachers. Um, so, today, our first matchup is going to be between uh, a couple of rascals, I'll call them, uh, who really don't typically land on the, what, good side of American presidents. Uh, we've got Rutherford B. Hayes and James, I don't know, the middle initial Buchanan. But uh, Rutherford, I haven't heard that name in a long time. That's, yeah, that's a random name. Hasn't hasn't been popping up on the, the hot name charts in the last, uh, I don't know, century? Yeah. <laughs> so, so go ahead. I mean, what you, I'll let you enlighten us on uh, some of their policies before I jump in. Yeah, I, I should make this as short as possible because uh, for both these guys, um, yeah, their presidency is pretty in, insignificant. Uh, the Rutherford B. Hayes qualifies as the SFP category, what I tell my students, the somewhat forgotten president. Um, don't be confused with some flipping president. <laughs> but uh, he came in at the tail end of the Reconstruction period. So 1877 to 1881. And he swore to serve one term. And he stuck to his uh, word. James Buchanan is a Democrat uh, from the late 1850s on the eve of the Civil War. And he's a northerner. Um, and he was part of that uh, presidencies of... 1850s where well we're democrat we're northerners but we still allow slavery to continue uh so between those two insignificant presidents i have to uh, give my nod and pass on rutherford b hayes because well i really don't have much of an argument other than that uh he didn't uh, allow a civil war to happen under his watch 
because <laughs> it just happened already. So <laughs> yes. got that out of the way. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of I have the same result, Rutherford B. Hayes. The only positive I could find from his presidency that wasn't even that specific was it said civil service reform. <laughs> they didn't even couldn't even get much of an elaboration on how exactly he reformed that. Um, but yeah, Buchanan, he just kind of stands around as president and just lets the civil war uh, begin. Um, and the thing I found about found out about him that was interesting was he had an innate ability to piss off both sides of the country. So he wouldn't just like inflame the South prior to the Civil War, but he would say something that would do both. He would make the North upset at him and get the South upset at the same time. So like actually probably important in getting the Civil War going. Um, one thing that uh, comes to mind is just how as South Carolina secedes, he is still the president, um, and he makes this move to, to put some troops at Fort Sumter, um, which uh, gets the South very upset and then also uh, upsets the North or people in the North because he doesn't even communicate really that he's doing that or even communicate to the people at Fort Sumter that there's some stuff about to go down. Um, so the guy was just really, uh, really bad at being president, um, indecisive in times of crisis. Um, yeah, he, uh, he was also a one-term president, but I don't think... I don't think I can even say anything good about the guy. Well, the um, Democrats weren't going to back him for re-election. And I don't know if he's just because he only wanted to serve one term. But they had two guys in a row that served one term for the Democrats, and they were disastrous presidency, and that was Franklin Pierce before him. Right. And he's the last. he is the last Secretary of State to become president after being Secretary of State. I did not know that. Well, it's something that... It's kind of, it's a strange, I don't know, one of those patterns in history where you'd think that would be a good jumping off point to become president. And before Buchanan, there were a lot of presidents that were secretary of state becoming before becoming president, but uh, not so much after him. Rutherford B. Hayes, uh, I'll save my big knocks for him on the next round. Um, <laughs> you just, you, you're not going to let him down easy, are you? No, I, <laughs> got to say something bad about him later but yeah civil service reform i'll say uh, that's going to pass him on for me um and our next matchup john quincy adams versus andrew johnson um for me this this was kind of a fun one for me because i didn't i didn't know a lot about john quincy adams um he's also a one-term president not by choice um and i think andrew johnson is kind. I mean, considered a one term because he just takes over after the assassination of Lincoln, and that's kind of it's kind of it for him, right? He's not reelected after that. Um, and Andrew Johnson, yeah. <laughs> Why would you want him again? Yeah. So he's <laughs> the one thing about Johnson that just sticks out is ever since I was young, I mean, he's been listed as like one of the worst presidents ever. Um, and some of the things that basically put him in. That category is just how he kind of lets the South off the hook after the Civil War. Um, basically, he lets all the former Confederate leaders just hop right back into positions of power um, and 
also just kind of lets those black codes uh, get implemented in the South where, you know, life as a, as a black man or, or, or former slave or black person in the South is basically illegal. Like there are some laws that get created that are pretty specifically designed to target, um, you know, former slaves. So that's going to, that's going to be a big knock against him. Um, John Quincy Adams though, uh, much like his father, a lot of the stuff he gets or kind of is known for or should be celebrated for happens outside of the presidency. Um, I didn't realize his pre his his resume before becoming president was so impressive. Um, he was like the envoy or the minister to like I don't know five foreign countries. Um, he so he was really a skilled uh, foreign policy actor, international man of mystery, if you will. Um, I think at, at one point he actually got accused of engaging in some nefarious activities as one of those ministers of like Russia. I think they accused him of um, being somewhat of a pimp actually. Uh, Interesting. At, yeah. I didn't know that about him <laughs> either. But when you look at him, it doesn't look not like much one. Of a pimp. Yeah. Um, but he, for me, he's going to slide right past uh, Andrew Johnson because um, he, even as, as president, they, they kind of talk about how, or in history, they talk about how he, was around for the modernization of the economy. Um, he was able to pay down debt. I mean, he did do some good things as president, but um, I think the stuff he does outside of the presidency is actually kind of far outweighs what he did as president. So even his you know minor accomplishments are still going to be uh, far ahead of Andrew Johnson. What do you think about that? Well... Let's uh, just back up just here for a second. Um, for those of you that don't know and you've got this imaginary bracket in your head, uh, John Quincy Adams we have as a six seed and Andrew Johnson as 11. And so 11 is like the lowest ranked in the region. And uh, there's every bit of a reason why Andrew Johnson should be 11 seed or even lower than that if it's possible. He came in um, on the uh, ticket – in 1864 with Abraham Lincoln. And this is something I talk a lot about in my class. Like, you want a Democrat from the South, the only guy who was in the Senate that uh, didn't leave his Senate seat when Tennessee withdrew from the Union and along with all the other uh, Confederate states. So he's the only guy. So you got to give him kudos for that, for sticking with the Union. Um, but why would you want a Democrat and, you know, so is it something about the transition? Uh, were they anticipating, well, okay, we're going to win this war pretty quick, and then Andrew Johnson's going to help us, you know, bring the South into the Union? I don't know. It's such a head-scratcher. Lincoln obviously gets assassinated. Andrew Johnson inherits the position. And then, as you mentioned before, Andrew Johnson's like, how can I sabotage this Reconstruction? I will acknowledge the 13th Amendment, which is the ending of slavery, and that's it. I don't want them to be citizens. I don't want to give African Americans voting rights. I don't want to give them any land. I don't want them to adjust. Why do we need the Freedmen's Bureau and help these people out? We don't need to do any of this. He's also the first president in U.S. history to ever have a veto overturned. Not once, not twice, but thrice. 
So that tells you how much the uh, Republican-dominated Congress loved Andrew Johnson. He is the first to be impeached. And it's not so much that he used his veto power because presidents have that uh, uh, power to do so. It's more so of the Tenure Office Act where uh, Congress put in place to preserve Lincoln's uh, cabinet officials, including a very controversial, overbearing bully uh, named Edwin Stanton. And he was the Secretary of War. Johnson wanted him out, and Stanton literally barricaded his office so he wouldn't be removed. And he asked <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant to remove Stanton because Johnson wanted Ulysses S. Grant to be the next Secretary of War. Grant says, I don't want any part of this, and I'm thinking about running for the next election in 1868. So forget you, Andrew Johnson. So Andrew Johnson missed impeachment by violating the Tenure of Office Act by one single vote. It almost, it almost like in modern terms, it almost seems like a, such a strange thing to impeach a president on just because of the president's ability to fire at will right. cabinet officials. I mean, you know, after, especially after the last administration, you know, a lot of cabinet officials just kind of fired at will. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like it's such a kind of a technicality almost to get a president kicked out on. But I mean, back then, obviously times are totally different. Um, and the situation where he's a Democrat, vice president for a Republican president taking over, dealing with the Republican cabinet, like that's such a strange situation to, to end up in. Um, I'm sure the Republicans in Congress at the time were just really upset at Lincoln for his original decision to, to balance that ticket out. But yeah, the, that's those are some pretty big knocks. And the things he gets overridden on are, you know, civil rights acts, uh, the Freedmen's Bureau. I don't know what the third one was, but those are pretty great examples as to why the dude was not so great. How about Quincy Adams, though? Well, John Quincy Adams, um, the reason why I passed him on, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about him in the next matchups. So I don't want to get too carried away. His name is not Andrew Johnson, so that's why he passes on. <laughs> so we'll leave it Those at that. Those are good. I like it. Uh, next up, we have a seven, a number seven seed in Grover Cleveland versus a number 10 seed uh, in Zachary Taylor. And just to, just for you know, point of reference, we put a guy that died, uh, what, six months into his presidency? Ahead, we ranked him ahead of uh, the previous guy, Andrew Johnson. Um, so that just goes to show you how bad – Andrew Johnson is <laughs> was his yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's a that's an interesting one for me obviously uh, just understanding that Zachary Taylor didn't really do anything as president it's going to be hard to move on to the next round yeah. for that one um, one thing I found out about him that was kind of interesting was he was considered to be the first president with no political experience um, and that maybe was one of the reasons why in his very short tenure he didn't do anything because he didn't know how to do it. Um, he died of like a stomach sickness, um, maybe because of his stress levels uh, as an inexperienced president. But uh, yeah, nothing. I don't think I have anything except for he didn't want to expand slavery as a principle. We and don't he's know. from Louisiana yeah. and a slave owner. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> take it, take what you will from that. So he's not going to move on for me. Uh, Grover, Grover Cleveland. Uh, I'd like to think he's the inspiration for the Sesame Street character. Um, ha haven't heard that name, Grover, 
in a while. Maybe that one's going to make a comeback. Bunch of Rutherf- Along with Rutherf- yeah, Rutherford. Just, pretty soon in our classes, we're going to be dealing with Rutherfords and Grovers and Millards. Uh, <laughs> That's another name. It'll can be make it it'll be great. Um, so he he's gonna he's gonna make the the move of the next round for me because the guy. I mean, we'll I'll talk more about him in the next matchup, but uh, remained pretty popular uh, over a pretty long period of time. Um, won the popular vote in elections three times. Uh, didn't get elected in the middle of those two um, campaigns, but. Uh, yeah, he remained pretty uh, pretty popular with the American people. Um, really made a point of being against corruption. Um, I always love a good anti-corruption story, um, and he is that for me. So f- for those basic reasons alone, Grover Cleveland is easily going to slide right over Zachary Taylor's uh, dead body. What about N- you? Well, you just convinced me to change my answer, maybe. <laughs> Uh, Grover Cleveland is in my SFP category, and but again, unique that he's the only president to win an election, lose an election, and win another election. Um, and again, who knows? Maybe there's something that might change in 2024. You know, something to consider. Uh, but anyways, Grover Cleveland uh, unfortunately had one of the worst uh economic crisis in US history and the panic of 1893 20% unemployment rate and that's up there with the uh, heart of the great depression uh, Grover Cleveland was in this era where you have some of the highest voter turnout but people can't really make up their mind on who should be president of the United States it's so divided so split uh, but uh, he does, again, you got to give them, give, give this guy kudos, uh, for being one of the only, uh, Democrats in this era of the late 1800s with Republican domination. Zachary Taylor, interesting guy. He wins the Mexican American war, one of the leading generals. And, um, it's like one of those. Dan, do you remember watching like aftermath of a Super Bowl with the commercial where um, they asked the uh, Super Bowl MVP or some big role player in, in, in the Super Bowl, you know, hey, Tom Brady, now that you won the Super Bowl, what are you going to do next? I'm going to Disney World, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine that with Zachary Taylor. Zachary Taylor, you just won the Mexican-American War. What are you going to do next? I think I was asked to run for president. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run for president. And he did. And he's the second Whig president to win. And as we mentioned in a previous podcast, Whigs stink in elections. Not only do they stink in elections, if they win one, they don't survive. So this guy made it about a year and a half or something like that. He died in 1850, uh, as previously mentioned by Dan. Taylor pulls off the upset for me. I'm going to pass him on. And I probably should have Grover Cleveland uh, against my better judgment. But Taylor's in the middle of a major crisis. And granted, his VP kind of sees it through. uh, But Taylor uh, is all about preserving the union. And with the additional territory gain from Mexico, and you have this hot issue with California, 
Okay. Uh, when is California not, you know, giving us a hard time? So you have the gold rush going on and, and it does improve the economy a little bit. So you got to give them a little bit of credit with that uh, compared to Cleveland's uh, economic depression of the panic of 1893. So Taylor pulls off the upset, even though he was only there for a year and a half. And uh, I, I don't think I win the argument on that one. Well, I mean, I think you make convincing, convincing points. Um, but the, the one thing to realize from that whole, you know, economic depression point is that, you know, prior to the Great Depression, there were several depressions, right? Like they just called them panics. And it was just that, you know, uh, example of how our our system is very much, you know, um, up and down. You know, you get a, a economy that is improving, increasing, and then it hits a certain point and just explodes and crashes and it goes back up and it comes back down. And there, that, that's happening all the time until we get up to like FDR where you start to kind of Put some pillows down to to soften the landing of uh, of those crashes, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a, a good uh, good knock for Cleveland. Um, we go back up to the top now after uh, those play-in matchups. We've got our number one seed Abraham Lincoln uh, versus Rutherford B Hayes, or uh, as he was come to known uh, as Rutherford B Hayes. Those guys were good at you know creating some. Some good slams back then. Um, so, for me, Rutherford B. Hayes is not going to make it past uh, the great emancipator or honest Abe, whatever you want to call him, um, simply because he so he oversaw the like some of the last parts of Reconstruction, and he just blew it. Uh, you know, he had the chance to continue some of the policies that ensured that there was you know military oversight in the South. Um, he didn't do that. Um, and that would prove to be fatal for, you know, a lot of, uh, especially black men. Um, I mean, I was reading a book recently where they described one person was describing their journey through the South. And they basically said that, you know, the roads were just littered with black bodies after this time period. Um, and he does this, uh, basically because he want like he is offered or there's some sort of corrupt bargain that's struck where he gets the presidency if he promises to end the military occupation of the south so he makes the deal with the devil basically uh which is not uncommon i guess in the presidency uh there's plenty of examples of this where you know some of these politicians or uh, these future presidents really want that job so they compromise some people they compromise some principles and they take it just so they can get the presidency i think rutherford b hayes is a good example of that um and he just basically takes any victories of reconstruction and just tosses them um and i often talk about this in my class it's the question of was reconstruction successful and a lot of times the kids come to the conclusion that well it could have been was a little bit but then not really (laughs) because he uh, just stopped basically any kind of reinforcement of ideas of equality or ideas of giving some of those freed slaves opportunities to uh, get involved in politics or vote or you know make a life for themselves. And after his presidency, we obviously see how 
Jim Crow laws get enacted, and we see that the problem of slavery continues under other circumstances. I mean, there's an argument to be had that slavery didn't necessarily end after the Civil War and Reconstruction due to things like prison leasing or even sharecropping. It was, it's just kind of, uh, it's just something that if you try to trace back some of the racial issues of this country, a lot of people often go right to the Civil War and slavery, but I think a lot of times it's this period after that we just kind of let slip through our fingers that stops us from really becoming, you know, a society that is based on that idea of equality or everybody has a chance to achieve the American dream. Um, so he, for me, is is probably pretty far down on the on the list of presidents and their and their ranking. So Abraham Lincoln, obviously, I'll say more about him in the next round, but um, kept uh, kept the nation together, wins the Civil War. Those are pretty big check marks for me. Um, so sorry, Rutherford. This is the time where we say goodbye. Again, very compelling arguments as well, and and I agree with you 100%. Lincoln needs to advance beyond Hayes. Hayes is one of those presidents that I think the moral character and qualities is very highly regarded in his presidency. Uh, he didn't, he's not a guy that you would drink with because <laughs> <laughs> he, he, uh, he uh, had the uh, liquor cabinets emptied out in the White House. Uh, he believed 100% in temperance. And he did try to um, put together a team of advisors that are both from the South and the North to, again, make a smoother transition um, after the Reconstruction period. But to the Democrats, he's the, uh, he's the pretender president. He won by one electoral vote, and it was three states that had questionable votings, and they're deep in the South, and you're telling me that they voted Republican? That's interesting. Now, if they had a you know, large number of African-American voter turnout, like in South Carolina, I definitely believe that. Um, but the Republicans wanted to continue that domination, and it came at a cost, as Dan mentioned before. So that's, again, not um, a good thing for his presidency. Lincoln, I'll talk a little bit more about race with Lincoln, um, but, you know, he's the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, He pushed for the uh, 13th Amendment along with the Radical Republicans. And uh, I I just think that if he was president um, in the Reconstruction, I I want to believe that uh, there would have been a different outcome uh, for the United States. So Lincoln moves ahead for me as well. Lincoln sliding right on through um, with his top hat and cool beard. Uh, Next up, we have a number, this is a five and a four matchup between Ulysses S. Grant and James Monroe. I'll let you shed some light on these guys first. All right, so one guy is on a paper bill. And the other guy, to my knowledge, is not. So Grant versus Monroe. Grant, obviously the famous war hero of the Civil War. James Monroe is kind of the last of the Virginia dynasty and kind of that last of the um, presidents who were you know, part of the uh, Revolutionary War. Now, uh, the Grant... 
he does make some good strides in reconstruction. So it's kind of fitting that we have a lot of these presidents that are from the reconstruction period all together in the same bracket. Again, that this was not done on purpose. We're not that <laughs> planned out. Come on. No. Yeah. But it happened just so perfectly. It did. And uh, again, it's, you know, sometimes a little luck goes our way. Grant had, uh, again, trying to uh, improve the livelihoods for African-Americans. During his presidency, the KKK Act was passed. Uh, he also tried to create friendlier relations with Native Americans. So having uh, more of the ministers and uh, church officials um, being more of the uh, people who make the face-to-face contact with Native Americans to try to um, have a little bit more non-aggressive relations compared to, well, let's meet up with Custer and the 7th Cavalry, which they do at the end of his presidency. So you, you got to give him a little bit of kudos for that. Here's the problem for Grant, is that the policies with the Native Americans uh, did not end well in, at the end of his presidency. He also has the panic of 1873, doesn't go well. And James Monroe also has the first panic. Um, so that's kind of a tie there. Uh, but James Monroe didn't really have the same scandals as Ulysses S. Grant. And so James Monroe passes on. Yeah, the guy that got us Florida, James Monroe. If it wasn't for James Monroe, we wouldn't have all those Florida Man memes out there. Uh, my favorite game to play is the Florida Man game. You ever play that before? Where you, I haven't played that. You put your, your birthday into Google, and you just put Florida Man behind it. And boy, <laughs> well, you'll be shocked at some of the things you were not aware of that go on in Florida. Um, so thanks, James Monroe, for that one. Yeah, for me, James Monroe is going to win, win this matchup as well. He is the first president to be around at the, at the dawn of the United States as a global empire. He's going to start to get us negotiated all the way out to the West Coast in some of those Northwest uh, territories. Um, so that's a pretty important step for, for this country. He comes up with famously the Monroe Doctrine, but after some research, uh, I found out that it wasn't necessarily him that wrote the dang thing. Um, but I'm going to give him credit still for it. Uh, and I would say that principle is something that I think could still be strived to achieve on a global scale. And that the idea is like, let's not be, uh, messing around in each other's uh, foreign affairs. Uh, we can try to coexist peacefully. Um, and even the United States basically takes that doctrine and just like trashes it. Uh, later in history, but I still think it's a good uh, higher principle to live up to as a country. You know, you can be on the world stage, but at the same time, you also don't need to be interfering in the affairs of those independent nations. I think that's definitely something to strive for and something that I think uh, we should continue to strive for, but I just know we don't um, based on recent history. Um, And so... Besides that, he's the la- one of the things I thought was interesting is the last guy as president to wear a powdered wig and also to wear a cocked hat. The last cocked hat would be his <laughs> sounds bad. His uh, biography or his album title. Um, but uh, for Grant, he's a he's a strange one because maybe you can testify to this as well. But at, when I was growing up, 
Ulysses S. Grant was typically put into a unremarkable category. Like the way I was taught Ulysses Ulysses S. Grant was like Civil War hero, of course, but uh, he was a drunk that uh, had a bunch of corruption. That was basically all that stuck in my mind about Grant. But he is an example of how, as time passes, history can shift you into sometimes a higher ranking. And that's what's happened to him. Um, Aside from those scandals, you know, you kind of mentioned the prosecution of the KKK, pretty important. Um, He enforced a lot of those uh, reconstruction acts. Uh, He enforced a lot of voting rights for African-Americans in the South. The Indian peace policy you brought up. Um, it's, It's just interesting to see that those things end up becoming more important than what you uh, mentioned before with like that, the the depression or the panic that sets in the history of scandals. Um, And, you know, we'll see if he stays at the spot he's at or drops in the future, but he's going to drop off the bracket for me though uh, against Monroe because he had enough foresight to see that the, the world was going to be more interconnected in the future. And that if we could try to stick to our own business and every other country could follow that same principle it's just going to be a, a better time. Yeah, he's one of several presidents that I uh, mentioned or will be mentioning that uh, they, they see some type of vision of the United States, and this would be the best course not only for the U.S., but also for the world. And Woodrow Wilson, in a previous podcast, I mentioned that with his 14 points, FDR with his Atlantic Charter. Uh, so, yeah, he's up there. And I'm going to talk more about James Monroe and his foreign policy, so I don't, I don't want to get too carried away. Grant, again, he, as you mentioned, he does a great job with um, collaborating, at least from my knowledge, collaborating with the Republicans uh, with the uh, Reconstruction policies. The unfortunate part for African Americans and also for um, the radical Republicans is the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court overturned the KKK Act. Um, the slaughterhouse cases doesn't help African Americans with the 14th Amendment uh, so, again, it's it's unfortunate he's in that. Also, it makes me sound like um, I can't move a president if they have a panic. It's it's not exactly that. It's just justifying why um, I, I, I'm going to put James Monroe a little bit ahead of Grant, even though they both had their separate um, uh, panics. Yeah, and uh, this next matchup, I, I find some parallels between, maybe not a lot, but a few. It's between our number three seed, Barack Obama, and uh, number six seed, John Quincy Adams. Uh, and the, the parallel that I like to draw, or I've, I've kind of uncovered about them, is that both of, both of them experienced periods of straight-up obstructionism from the opposite party. Uh, and in the Obama administration, there was like a famous meeting after he was elected between kind of you know congressional Republicans that said, like, we are going to do whatever we can to stop everything that this guy tries to do. And I don't know what the exact lead-up to John Quincy Adams situation was, but um, he was unable to basically uh, get through a lot of what he wanted to be a successful president because of straight-up obstructionism. Um, One thing that's going to put Obama ahead of John Quincy Adams for me is – this, uh, the way that John Quincy Adams becomes the president. Uh, to, it's another example 
that I once again mentioned earlier of how sometimes, you know, these, these principled men become a little bit uh, less principled when the presidency is at stake. Uh, and, and maybe you can shed some more light on this, but in the election of 1824, uh, John, it's, there's three, it's John Quincy Adams, Henry Clay, and Andrew Jackson, correct? My, my right. Yeah. So and far? don't forget William Crawford. Sure. There's four. Okay. And so if I'm not mistaken, Jackson is, he has the majority of popular vote. And he didn't have majority. Okay. Okay. So he had, he had, okay. So he had yeah, the most, the most. Okay. That's good. Good distinction to make. So he had the most votes, both, um, popularly and electorally. Correct. And Adams, where does he finish on that? Adams was second in both categories. Okay, but the, but like the, the the difference between second and third, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that far off, right? Like it was, it, it was pretty. Even though it wasn't a majority, it was pretty clear that like Jackson had won. I'm gonna look a, this up a lot I, more than the others. Right. right? I'm gonna look this up, but I um I'm gonna guess that. Uh, Jackson had 90-some electoral votes, and John Quincy Adams had about 80-some electoral votes, and then it drops off. Crawford had 41, and Henry Clay had 39 electoral votes. So they just cut off those two guys and went to the House of Representatives because that's what it says in the Constitution. Right, and they and Quincy Adams ends up getting, getting the nod. Uh, and to me, that's such... That is so corrupt and uh, not uh, very principled. Um, and I think because of that initial start, like it's hard to, uh, you know, start from such a stained position and, uh, you know, be, be able to accomplish so much. Uh, and like I said previously about Quincy Adams, a lot of the stuff he did that was remarkable and helpful to the nation was probably before he was president and even even after he was president. Um, one of the things that I guess I'll bring up because he's going to fall off my bracket is that uh, after he's president, um, he becomes a representative basically until he dies, uh, which is so strange to think of in the, in the modern day, like a president being done and they come back uh, to have political office in a, you know, a smaller capacity. Andrew Johnson actually was able to do that too. Um, one thing that I didn't know was uh, the reason he goes back into politics is because um, his son commits suicide. You know what his son's name was? Uh, you're talking about John Adams Sr.? No, this is John Quincy Adams. Son. Oh, no, I did not know that. His son's name was George Washington Adams. There we go. Really? Yeah. I know that John Adams Sr. had a son, which was John Quincy Adams' brother, uh, that pretty much died because of alcohol abuse, and and he resented his father. And so that's where I got it confused there. But, yeah, I did not know that John Quincy Adams' son well, maybe I, hopefully I got that right. Um, you can fact check. We can always yeah, fact check. That. Um, and then the last thing to bring up about, about his post presidency, of course, is the arguing uh, the case for the the slaves uh, of the Amistad. That one for me, like he's not going to go on for me because of our parameters of what you achieve as president. But I think as far as post presidencies go, to successfully defend that uh, group of Africans um, is impressive, and he he achieves victory in that case, um, and he he gets those those uh, captured 
Africans' uh, freedom. But the sad thing about that story, by the way, watch the Amistad if you haven't seen it. Great kind of courtroom historical drama. Um, but uh, he gets these guys off, gets them their freedom. But then as they go back home, they basically discover that, like, everything that they, they had was gone. You know, like, their whole, all their families are gone. Um, either killed or taken into slavery, or it's just destroyed. Um, so, uh, John Quincy Adams, uh, for me, not going to make it, but Obama is. And, you know, I might uh, elaborate more in the next round. But for me, Obama also experienced a lot of obstructionism, and he's still got uh, some things done. Obviously, the major accomplishment for him is going to be uh, the Affordable Care Act, more commonly known as Obamacare. Um, he's also known for... He gets a he gets a Nobel Peace Prize as president um, for, I guess, his uh, anti-war rhetoric. Uh, he did, even though he did kind of expand war in some degree, he did kind of increase things like drone strikes. Um, he did draw down our presence in Afghanistan quite a bit. Um, he did oversee the recovery from the Great Recession of 2008. Um, at the end of his administration in 2016, the the economic numbers were pretty impressive. Um, he he oversaw an a, a unprecedented streak of job growth in the country. Um, the stock market was pretty much consistently up, um, and yeah, he just it, it seemed like if you look at the numbers, he fares pretty well when it comes to you know dealing with the economy and keeping things kind of on course. Uh, so he's going to pass for me on, on some of those basic, basic things. What about you? So I just fact checked myself with the election of 1824. There are four candidates and probably some of you are wondering, well, why was there four candidates? Well, the problem was there was only one recognizable party and that was the democratic Republicans. Now there's factions within there and that's those factions are pretty evident in the election of 1824. The party chose Crawford, uh, to to be the next president. Um, and there were people who didn't see eye to eye to that, so he had several guys throw their hats in the ring, and that's why we have four in that election. Uh, Jackson had 99 electoral votes, which was 38%, and John Quincy Adams had 84, um, which was 32%, and then neither of them um, had the majority popular vote, which is not necessary anyways. So it goes to the House of Representatives, and the House decides if, if there's a candidate who doesn't have majority votes. And they chose John Quincy Adams. Now, just ironically, one of the four candidates is Henry Clay, who is also the Speaker of the House, the most influential guy. And, and he looks at the uh, two candidates, Andrew Jackson and uh, John Quincy Adams, which guy would favor Henry Clay's um, American system, his economic policies. And he said, well, Andrew Jackson's not going to like my bank. He's not going to like my, you know, national roads, canals. So uh, let's, let's, let's uh, vote in um, John Quincy Adams. And then right after that, John Quincy Adams nominated, or not nominated, but uh, chose um, Clay to be Secretary of State, which, as Dan mentioned before, that's your step in to be the next president of the United States. And so this is where Andrew Jackson supporters said corrupt bargain. And so this is the election known as the corrupt bargain. 
1828, these two guys run head-to-head again, Andrew Jackson and um, John Quincy Adams. And um, this is your first campaign where you use smear uh, campaign against each other's candidates. So he's part of those two memorable um, presidential campaigns. Now, John Quincy Adams uh, was favorable to Native Americans um, and one of the few presidents of that era to, to be. And it's just ironic that his um, the successor, Andrew Jackson, is probably one of the harshest towards Native Americans. Uh, but he, he didn't really have a significant enough presidency compared to Barack Obama. John Quincy Adams kind of divided the nation further with approving the high tariff rates to protect northern businesses, and Southerners did not like that. Barack Obama did probably a better job of trying to um, improve the nation out of a depression, and so um, when you drive the unemployment rate down from 10% down to about 3 maybe even below 3% um, by the end of his presidency, I think that's uh, definitely a a better case than John Quincy Adams. So Brock passes. Yeah, it should be mentioned too that, you know, Quincy Adams, I don't know if we said, uh, he was the actual penman behind the Monroe, Monroe Doctrine. Um, one, of the, one of the things I wrote down that he wrote was that the U.S. may become the dictatress of the world, uh, but would no longer be the ruler of her own spirit if we continued down that path of you know, expanding and messing with the affairs of other nations. And I think that's a pretty prophetic statement. Um, I would say that that's, for the most part, come true. And when we do pursue those policies of interference or, you know, trying to install people into certain countries, um, we're, you know, we're trying to manipulate the world based on our foreign policy. But if you, if you look back at ourselves, it's like we've almost lost our way as a country. Well, he's, again, another guy where outside of his presidency, he did accomplish a lot. And, uh, just again, it's unfortunate that we are not basing this argument on what they have done outside their presidency. Right. Maybe that's for a different uh, series of uh, sure. madness that we pursue. Uh, so what, let's just let's stick with uh, this, this, this part of the region. Um, we've got... Uh, Obama now. Oh, you want to give one more? Nope, I missed one, right? So now we're at uh, Lyndon Johnson, our number two seed, versus Grover Cleveland, or you picked Zachary Taylor, correct? So Lyndon B. Johnson has a a very interesting presidency for me, Um, big-time roller coaster. Now, I'm just going to just keep this short and and sweet. Uh, Taylor did not live long enough to really make any type of big splash to beat out Lyndon Johnson and his accomplishments. The domestic policies are very um, different. You have Taylor trying to preserve the union, but Lyndon Johnson is trying to improve um, people's livelihoods, and, and the Great Society is a big example of that. And so, and along with African-American rights. So I, I'm going to give the nod to Lyndon Johnson. Yeah, for me, he's going up against uh, Grover Cleveland. Um, my list is pretty short of accomplishments of Grover Cleveland. Married, first uh, president married in the White House. So that was the guy. I think I confuse him with Chester Arthur a lot of yeah, the Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, but it's just because they're so unremarkable. Um, and one thing, I guess... That's a positive for Grover is just in general, it seemed like his character 
was pretty upstanding because um, he tries to end the spoil system. He tries to kind of, you know, introduce a meritocracy in the government, which I think is probably the best way to manage it. And I, I think sometimes that happens, but other times there's obvious appointments where it's, you know, clearly spoils a victory. Um, and for me, yeah, Johnson's going to going to beat him pretty easily. Johnson is, you know, in terms of character, uh, how do I say this? Um, he's a little bit more of a wild card. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I would say he was like a super upstanding character. Um, he's almost like this vulgar, uh, bombastic personality in the White House that is able to accomplish a lot, uh, but his means of doing so are pretty, um, what, opposite of probably how Grover Cleveland would have sought to do things. Um, and those accomplishments, like you mentioned, the Great Society, which I might elaborate on in our, our next matchup, are, are pretty important. And so he's going he's gonna to beat uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Cleveland. Um, and that will just take us into that next matchup between Johnson and Obama. Um, for me, I think this one was one of the more – I mean, this bracket towards the end here, it's getting a little bit – it was a little bit hard for me to make some of these decisions, and I think it could probably go either way, and that – would probably be okay. But for me, I, I picked uh, Johnson over Obama. Um, and, of course, everyone's like, what are you talking about? The Vietnam War, man. Vietnam. Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? That's a pretty big stain. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and argue that the domestic accomplishments of Lyndon Johnson are going to uh, outlast or outweigh Obama's because of their ability to stick around. I mean, if you look at our social safety net as a country, they are basically in place because of a couple people. I would point to FDR, number one, and I would point an even bigger finger to, to LBJ. Um, you know, you look at Medicare, Medicaid, Head Start, all the civil rights acts that he passed as a, as a president. Um, those things are still around. They're still very popular. Um, and I think, you know, obviously Vietnam, it's, you know, there's lies that happen there. There's a lot of unnecessary death and destruction and a lot of arguments to, to go against the, uh, you know, even idea of sticking it out in that place. Um, but I think that, you know, that experience in Vietnam also ends up being a positive, you know, it's hard to kind of talk about, um, you know, war that includes so much death and destruction in such kind of a, a nonchalant or even positive way. But, you know, after the Vietnam War, we have a lot more protections on presidential power in those situations. Um, we realized for the first time that, you know, um, we are vulnerable uh, militarily. And it's if you fight a limited war, you're not necessarily going to get the result that you want. Um, so I think those lessons, too, that we learned from that war also could be spun into positives. Um, but, yeah, there's just, you know, for me, Obama's got the one health care act, which is where he spends all of his political capital. Um, you know, the fact that he's obstructed for his entire presidency stops him from really getting any more major pieces of legislation passed 
is going to stop him from, from, um, you know, proceeding for me. And, and one thing that, that I learned recently that kind of shocked me as to what happened during his presidency that stopped him from, you know, getting done what he wanted to do. It wasn't even something that was necessarily a political move like the Affordable Care Act. Do you know what the most, uh, or do you know what the event was that dropped his numbers the most in terms of support? Any guesses? No, I have no guess. So do you remember the, it was early in his presidency, there was a, uh, a professor of Harvard, Henry Louis Gates Jr., I think his name was. Um, you know that you're familiar with this incident? It's starting to so he's on a picture. So he he's uh he's coming back from a trip somewhere, a conference or something, and he's locked out of his house, right? And he's trying to get into his own house. The police show up, um, and Henry Louis Gates Jr. is a black man, um, and the police show up. A argument ensues basically. And Henry Louis Gates ends up in handcuffs in the back of a police car, arrested for trying to get into his own house. Uh, someone asks him, so Obama gives like, he's, he's promoting the health care bill. He sits there for like two hours addressing health care questions. And then there's one last question like, hey, did you hear about uh, Professor Gates, who was his friend? Um, and he said that, you know, I think the police acted stupidly in that situation. And because he simply said that, that was the one event that lost him the most support out of any event in his eight years as president. That's really interesting. Isn't it? And it's just, it just goes to show you that, you know, how difficult and how, you know, how the cards were, how stacked against him the cards were. Um, and something that deals with race like that just drops his support immensely. You take that into context too. How many things has Trump has publicly said that would probably, you know, be up there as like really? Did you just say that? So yeah, it's. But that that was just something I wanted to bring up as yeah, as something it's, that it's unfortunate. It 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 really stopped like some things that you wouldn't think would stop you know the Obama administration from getting things done. That was one that lost him a lot of supporters. Um, and so Johnson's ability to just get all those things done are is going to pass him pass him on for me so for my matchup with lbj and and obama both have a really good agenda of trying to improve society and in some ways they are successful and and dan mentioned both um, examples for each president how much did the president see this through well, you just mentioned that Obama um, was making sure that Obamacare made it through. LBJ with uh, lowering poverty. He does successfully lower poverty. The problem is the Vietnam War kind of eats up some of that budget that could have been helpful to people in society. And you already had, within a couple of years, you had several members close to him saying, this is not a winnable war. We need to get out. We need to get out. That that was, again, made very plainly clear to Lyndon B. Johnson. And, yeah, it should not mark his presidency, but when I compare Obama's foreign affairs to LBJ, I'm going to give Obama the slight nod. Uh, he did lower the escalation in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, the uh, One of the big targets in the war on terror is Osama bin Laden, and he was also 
uh, taken out uh, by our uh, fearless uh, soldiers. So <clears throat> I got to pass Obama just based on that fact. Even though I agree with Dan 100%, we learned a lot from Vietnam. We learned a lot about um, how U.S. reacts to wars, um, how we handled our, our foreign policy with that war, and some of the telltale signs to pay attention to with future wars. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think that those lessons are still, you know, fresh in people's minds. I mean, I think even in Obama's term as president, there was a time when, uh, I think in, you know, 2015 maybe, when, or maybe it was even earlier than that, but there was some, uh, some there were some gas attacks in Syria. Do you remember this? Where, you know, there were, you know, mostly kids were the ones that ended up dead in, in, a, in a gas attack. And Obama had previously stated that like, that was the line in the sand, that if they crossed that, we were going in. And he tried to get support to go in and, you know, kind of intervene, but you know, a lot of the people that were voting on that did have some of those lessons of Vietnam fresh in their mind. Like, what do you guys remember what happened when we got involved into a, a civil war last time uh, in a foreign country? Um, it didn't turn out so well for us. And so I think that, you know, you could even connect those two things. Because um, a lot of the guys that were, you know, men and women that were voting on that resolution to go into Syria, I mean, John McCain was voting on that. Obviously, his he remembers Vietnam because he was a prisoner of war there, but uh, so do a lot of the other people that are voting on it. And I'm pretty sure it was denied on a bipartisan level. Um, it wasn't just a, a vote down party lines when he wanted to intervene to, you know, try to, you know, protect children. Um, and definitely a noble cause, but just kind of a, a thing that connects the two um, in terms of foreign policy. Uh, next up on the bracket, Lincoln versus Monroe. So our number one seed versus our number four seed. Uh, and for me, I have Lincoln advancing over Monroe. Um, a lot of times when we're, you know, when we get to these later matchups, some of them in the earlier stages, it's almost like you're comparing similar time periods, but then you start to really uh, compare time periods that are not necessarily comparable. Um, but I mean, this is, they're not that far apart, I guess. Uh, and in Lincoln's case, he is going to oversee that, uh, awful civil war to the end. Um, and as far as Monroe is concerned, I mean, like I said, he, he gets credit for the Monroe, Monroe doctrine, even though Quincy Adams is the one that wrote it, um, and getting Florida. I don't think that's going to compare to, uh, you know, defeating or, yeah, defeating half of the country and making sure it stays as one. I mean, even though recently I've been thinking about it, I kind of wonder, like, why did you? Why even bother? <laughs> why didn't you just let it go, man? We could have, could have been a far different outcome. But I guess, I mean, the man was so principled; he just had to keep those United States united, and you got to give the guy credit for that. For that's a difficult task. I mean, I feel like if if you give that task to, you know, someone before him like Buchanan. Uh, he's probably just going to be like, whatever, just let him go. But Lincoln, determined, wants to keep this place united, get rid of uh, slavery, um, and he, he does that. Uh, I think it's pretty hard to compete against that. It is. It really is. And Lincoln is probably 
in a situation where he's definitely the most challenged president in U.S. history just because of the Civil War going on. And most sane people would pass on Lincoln uh, going past Monroe for sure. But would you not a sane person? Is that what you're about to say? (laughs) There's a possibility. (laughs) So Lincoln, uh, again, with the dealing with the Civil War, I thought uh, he handled it pretty well. Um, And the, the questionable parts that Lincoln, there's, there's, there's also the dark side of this presidency. It's not so much, okay, it's Lincoln who's on the dark side, but just the role of the presidency is uh, put in a situation where you have to take some extra measures of power that would be very questionable. He declares martial law on Maryland, and again, for, for justifiable reasons, he's got to retain Maryland because the capital would be surrounded by the Confederate territory. Uh, but also his troops were harassed by people in Baltimore. He also uh, put a lot of threats and pressure on states to meet the quota for the draft. And we just don't see Lincoln in that way. We, we see him as the freer of slaves, the, the, the person who, you know, brought the union back together with the, the Confederacy. We see him in a lot of positive lights. That's for sure. Uh, And the unfortunate part for Lincoln is we didn't quite see what would happen during Reconstruction during his presidency. That's the most unfortunate part. Monroe is in a different time period, in my opinion. He's coming out of a second war with Great Britain. So James Madison finishes up this presidency with the ending of the War of 1812 so Monroe kind of continues that Democratic-Republican domination, uh, but he puts the U.S. on a certain track of trying to improve their industries, their agriculture. You mentioned that um, land acquisitions. He's also, during his presidency, and again, a lot of it is credited to John Quincy Adams and people in his um, cabinet, but he peacefully, during his presidency, negotiated a definitely an agreeable boundary line between British Canada and the United States. Uh, So I'm going to um, also make a mention on race. Monroe is a slave owner, and Lincoln is the freer of the slaves. Uh, But Lincoln initially wanted to move slaves to Africa. Monroe wanted the same thing. The unfortunate part is Monroe um, did not push for the ending of slavery, even though he was at times in his life uh, agreeing with emancipating slaves. Uh, He just was in a situation where he didn't really take that matter into his own hands to keep the uh, nation together. So that's the unfortunate part there. Um, But I'm going to pass on Monroe with an upset here, and I'm going to base it on uh, his successful um, foreign policies uh, compared to Lincoln, who was a little bit more aggressive with the European nations, like stay out. Um, and I agree with him on staying out, but he didn't really create friendlier relations with Europe. Yeah, one thing about Monroe that stand like you mentioned the kind of the back to Africa movement. So he 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 picks like they get Liberia right. 
and the capital. Which the capital is named yeah, after him. Monrovia, right? Yeah. Um, and so the fascinating thing about Liberia, and this has happened, I know there's some other parallels to this, but he, so they do succeed in putting some freed slaves, you know, back to Africa, not from their native land, but they put them in Liberia. And what hap- what are those, this is the, what do the freed slaves do once they land upon the shores of Liberia? They enslave the native population of Liberia. It's just a vicious cycle, people. Um, and yeah, it's a, uh, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if most people even realize was was happening under the Monroe administration. So we've got a, a, a split uh, final of the of the region. I have Lincoln versus Johnson. You've got Monroe versus Obama. Correct. Yeah, and I like your matchup better. Well, it I'll, seems. <laughs> Really good matchup. <laughs> yeah, and this was, I mean, I uh, another one of those kind of tough decisions to make, but, you know, to kind of pile on Lincoln with what you said. Um, you know, everyone thinks of him as this great emancipator, the freer of the slaves, uh, you know, the unifier of the country. But once you, if you dig even just a little bit deeper on some of those things, you look at things like the 13th Amendment, right, the the, the amendment that freed the slaves, dot, 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 kind of, right? Because in that amendment, it says slavery is illegal unless punishment for a crime. And it, it is that wording of that amendment that, that Lincoln pushes for and, and wants to get approved that eventually leads to the situation I mentioned before after Reconstruction uh, where there still is slavery, but it's by another name, right? This amendment allows for black men to be arrested in mass just before it's harvest season in the South. And those prisons lease their prisoners out to those same plantations that they were forced to work on all those years ago. And the leasing rate is like a penny per prisoner. Um, and that, and that, by the way, isn't something that's even gone away completely. You could even argue that the prison labor that exists in the country uh, is slavery because it's allowed under the 13th amendment and Lincoln was the one that of course really wanted to get that through um, another thing that gets brought up is that of course you know the emancipation proclamation right he freed the slaves well okay he freed the slaves in the rebelling states right let's not forget that there was a couple slave states that were on the northern side right they four were, of them yeah and <laughs> Guess what they got to do during the war? Uh, keep their slaves, right? Until that 13th Amendment, of course, goes through. But, um, you know, there is some stuff that if you if you just read below the headlines, you understand that, okay, I feel like he's trying to win a war, not necessarily be this moral compass for a nation. Uh, and another another kind of knock against him is that, you know, in his debates – with Stephen Douglas, right? The, the issue of slavery is talked about pretty extensively. And Lincoln makes it pretty much known that he, he doesn't believe that the, the races are equal, right? But he doesn't agree that slavery should exist. But he thinks that, you know, segregation should definitely exist. Like, he totally uh, believes in keeping the two groups apart from each other. So... Those are the things that if you, you know, dig a little bit deeper in the headlines and you realize like, oh, okay, maybe he wasn't all he was cracked up to be. Um, and, you know, the victory of the Civil War kind of 
makes us forget to read below those headlines. Um, I I don't think he's going to pass pass the pass pass on to the next next level for me. And Johnson is going to going to beat Abraham Lincoln, and because of the fact that Lyndon B. Johnson basically carries through on what those headlines were, right? So, of course, Lincoln ends slavery, but he allows you know some some wiggle room with that uh, wording of the amendment. And Lyndon B. Johnson's going to step in, and he's going to end segregation with the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And you could say, well, like, well, he didn't he didn't write that bill, he didn't pass that, but he was a guy that was very involved in the legislative process, and so he really. Uh, was on the phone, was pressuring people to get behind these ideas, and he really finishes the job that Lincoln really didn't uh, shore up all those years ago. End segregation. He ends, you know, the, he passes the Voting Rights Act of '65, or he signs it, I guess, which eliminates literacy tests, poll taxes. He he signs the 1968 Civil Rights Act, which ends his housing discrimination, things like redlining. Um, and he can, like I said before, he continues to build on domestic programs and that's just not something that was even around, I would say during the time of the Lincoln administration, those ideas weren't there yet. Um, so for me, I know, I know obviously one of them won a war, one of them lost a war. Um, I'm still going to argue that the the good that was done by the Johnson administration with those landmark civil rights bills and those pieces of the um, the um, the war on poverty, uh, that's going to pass him on because uh, that legacy helped shore up all the the loose ends of what what Lincoln created back in the 1860s. Yeah, and it's a valid argument. The Two both face a very challenging war, and one was home, obviously. Um, and, again, a lot of people would give Lincoln the nod of, well, you know, this, when you're looking at the two wars, Lincoln's administration was more successful, and that's true. But how much does that weigh into the presidency? I mean, Lincoln, obviously there's certain things that get passed during his presidency, such as the Homestead Act of 1862, and you can parallel that maybe with some equal opportunity um, during LBJ's presidency. Uh, but war was a, at the forefront of um, Lincoln's administration, whereas Lyndon B. Johnson, at least for part of his administration, uh, could put forward a lot of policies that would improve the American society to more equality. So I agree with you 100% on that yeah, and you And you just brought up the Homestead Act and... Even that could, I think you could spin that into a negative light because we in my in a class I'm teaching just recently we talked about how or we we were reading an article about how the the divvying up of the land into kind of certain parcels really uh, took away a lot of land that was designated to Native Americans, uh, and so I think under his administration I even forgot to mention the the largest mass execution of the, you know, which he reduced though. Right? It was like 300 or something. Yeah, wasn't he it? reduced it significantly. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, um, obviously his record maybe against native Americans isn't the cleanest either. I don't know much about no. Lyndon. I guess yeah. the, the, 
the red power movement was kind of going on during the Nixon administration. So I don't know if there was a lot of, I don't know much about Native American rights under the Johnson administration. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, but I love, I also just love the craziness of Lyndon B. Johnson. Some of the weird facts about his presidency, he um, used to, I think he had a drinking fountain installed with like soda in the White House. He had a, he also had a buzzer installed in the Oval Office for the Secret Service to buzz when his wife was coming. Um, he used to take you sure that wasn't in there with Kennedy. Yeah, maybe he just that was an overlap. <laughs> he also used to get mad about people comparing uh, his sexual escapades to John F. Kennedy. He always wanted to be better than John F. Kennedy, uh, especially in the department with uh, you know cheating on his wife. Um, he also used to take people to his ranch, and he had this amphibious car, and he would drive. He would be like driving on this hill, and be like, "Oh my God, I cut the brakes! The brakes don't work!" Ah! And he'd drive right into a lake, and would glide as if it were a boat. And he'd be like, "I got you so good! You just crapped your pants right there." Um, <laughs> and just some of the more vulgar stories of of how he got things done um, was really, you know, with the Johnson treatment was really. I don't know if it's obviously something to look up to, but it's just something for me. It's like such an interesting. He's such an interesting character study. Much like Richard Nixon, the guy was just interesting. He would get in people's face. He would basically get them to agree to things that they didn't really want to agree to. There's a great phone call he has with, uh, what's his name, Richard Russell, I think, who was on the Warren Commission, um, who was a Southern senator, and he hated the Chief Justice Earl Warren. And he wanted to get the two together on the Warren Commission because he said, if, if these two can come to an agreement, I can get the American people to agree with it. And he basically forces the guy onto the committee by saying, hey, I printed it in the paper already. You're on the committee. God damn it. Do your job for America. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, he's a bully. And uh, Yeah, but uh, if you want to just check it out a little bit, you could always just YouTube LBJ orders a pair of pants onto YouTube. There's a great uh, conversation on record where he uses the Johnson treatment, which isn't even necessary in the situation, to get some custom-made pants from the Hager Clothing Company. It's pretty entertaining. Yeah. So I got a different matchup. Yeah, let's hear it. Not as glamorous, uh, probably, as Dan's. I have Monroe as the fourth seed who pulled the upset against Lincoln, and then Obama who pulled the upset against LBJ as the three seed so three four matchup now obama obviously different era um and again we've come a long ways dealing with race compared to monroe's era so i really can't use this as a as a valid argument um you would have to just nod your head obama's administration was probably way 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 more favorable to african americans and that is 100 percent true but I'm going to focus on the political scene and the situation of the United States dealing with politics. So Obama comes in, obviously, during a recession and try to help the U.S. recover uh, this recession and successfully does so. Monroe's administration does deal with a panic, uh, but for part of his presidency, it was going pretty well. In fact, he was one of the uh, individuals that uh, uh, was part of the creation of the second national bank. Um, and that was more at the end of James Madison's presidency, but uh, Monroe was a big part of that being not only the uh, secretary of state for part of the time, but also the secretary of war. I mean, how many guys have served 
two positions uh, in the cabinet. Uh, but anyways, Monroe uh, was in an era where there was pretty much one political party, and this era is known as the era of good feeling. And it was coined that in one of the probably more hostile places towards the Democratic Republicans, and that was in Massachusetts, which was once upon a time a stronghold for the Federalist Party. And the Federalists are pretty much on their way out or declining. And, and in fact, Monroe in his first uh, campaign in 1816 won easily uh, over the Federalist candidate. I think it was Rufus King. So, again, not too many people win in a landslide. I think LBJ won in a landslide. Obama didn't quite win in a landslide. And especially the second uh, election in 2012, Obama uh, carried less states, electoral uh, votes, and Monroe in his second uh, campaign, he won all electoral votes except for one because one electoral guy had to be defiant and said, well, George Washington uh, won unanimously and we can't have Monroe win unanimously. Otherwise, Monroe would have been the second president to win unanimously. So how many guys could really say that? Monroe also, um, again, in this time, um, really was willing to work with people in the Federalists. In fact, um, many of them crossed over to the Democratic Republicans. Um, significant guys like uh, Henry Clay, um, John Quincy Adams, uh, guys who favor more of the Northern policies, and Monroe is willing to work with those guys and, and, and utilize some of those improvements with Rhodes during his presidency. He didn't agree with all of Clay's American system, but there was enough there to, to balance that um, favorability between some of the Northern policies and the Southern policies. So that kind of gives him the nod over Obama, who in some people's eyes created further frictions between the Democrats and the Republicans, especially Obamacare. All right. Well, this is the first region where we've got different winners. That makes me feel good. I like that. I like some disagreement. Um, so I've got Lyndon Baines Johnson moving on, uh, and you've got uh, the last cocked hat, James Monroe, before they used to use their middle initials. Does he have one of those? I remember I something. I remember doing a presentation on him when I was like in fifth grade, and the, the, when you brought up the the Virginia dynasty. That was the fact that stuck with me for, you know, 20 years i always whenever he got brought up i was like did you know he was the last guy from virginia to be a president in the string of the virginia dynasty they were like okay great i'm gonna leave now uh, <laughs> yeah it's a good way to make friends right? yeah <laughs> it's a good test i'd say to make the right friends um so next next episode we're gonna be taking out uh taking on the uh monticello uh, region so you know our number one seed there It'll be TJ Thomas Jefferson. And uh, we'll see you then. Make sure if you uh, like this podcast to rate and review it. Uh, let us know what you think about our picks or pick your own. Uh, you can look at the bracket uh, yourself on uh, our website that I will be creating before I post these episodes. So and feel far. free to bash me for not passing Lincoln on further in the bracket over Monroe. Well, I don't know. I think people can do their research on Lincoln and figure out why maybe he should be knocked down a few pegs. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care.